and welcome to the TNW podcast. I am your host, Andre Degeler. As I promised earlier this week, here is a bonus episode of the show, and this time it is all about the policy in space. To learn more about this topic, I went to the 5G Territory Conference in Riga a few months ago, and there I sat down to talk to Tomasz Hrozenski. He is the senior researcher and lead on European engagement at the European Space Policy Institute, or ESPI. We discussed how space policy actually works, whether it works at all, what to expect from the EU space law that's being developed as we speak, and much more. Here is our conversation in full. So, Thomas, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about yourself first before we go to uh, the ESPI. So what it is that uh, you were doing before you joined? Uh, what's your own background? So I'm a political scientist by education. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and you can, you can already ask a question, how come uh, a person with such a background gets into the space sector? But in fact, you have, uh, if you if you look at different organizations, I would argue mostly in the public room, but also in the companies, you have people that do not have a technical background in terms of being programmers, engineers, engineers or scientists. So you also have lawyers, you also have economists, you also have people with other types of social science background. So in my case, it's the political uh, science. And before I joined my, my current position at uh, the European Space Policy Institute, I was a, a PhD student in political science in my home country, so in uh, Slovakia. And uh, when I was finishing my PhD program, uh, which was in international relations and security studies, I, I got a job at SP and I have been with SP, as we call uh, my institute in short, ever since. But did you uh, like? Did you have anything to do with uh, with space during your PhD time? Like, did you yeah, correct. Uh, my thesis was uh, was a space focused, and the interest kind of started sooner. Uh, so, uh, in my case, it was in early childhood, as with most of space enthusiasts. <laughs> then I somehow shifted to social sciences, and then I remember it was in the second year of uh, my university studies that uh, we have had a subject uh, or a course on international relations, very generic, where we have been given a freedom to choose a topic uh, for like a, a seminar paper kind mm -hmm. of a thing. And so I, uh, to the teacher, I proposed <laughs> a space topic. He accepted, he thought it's a nice idea to explore how space and politics or international relations are connected. No, and then ever since I have been somehow attached to the topic and, and it led me to uh, my, my professional life uh, these days. Right, so SP, what, uh, what is it? Uh, what's the, what do you do and what are the goals? Yeah, so we are, um, uh, a not-for-profit organization mm -hmm. uh, in the field of public policies, the concept of uh, think tanks, it's a fairly common one. Uh, so uh, by default, uh, we have a mission that is uh, to support um, a space policy making in Europe with informed views, with providing recommendations and serving as a platform for discussion of, of European uh, needs, uh, with the needs, capabilities and long-term prospects when it comes to space activities and also but when it comes to you know space being part of the broader society and economy. So we are not for profit. We are not a, a consultancy. At the same time, we are not an academic institution. We are really looking into an applied research that supports policymaking and policymaking um, in primarily, primarily in its sense of being public policy. That's mean that there is there are public actors in Europe, states could be regions, uh, states or international organizations 
dimensions or uh, the EU dimension, which has its you know own special status. And uh, these stakeholders, they occasionally, increasingly put some money, public finance on space, and they want to achieve something with doing something on space. And that's how you get into you know uh, public space budgets. There is also the element of space industry, which is also uh, an inseparable part of this uh, of this dialogue. But uh, let's say primarily the organization that I'm currently working at, SP, is looking at uh, space policy making in, in Europe and is trying to make it more effective, more impactful, and is trying to also make Europe a stronger Europe in space, but at the same time, which is a Europe that is partner to the world. You know, in space, there is a lot of activities that we do in space, either individually as states or collectively in, in some partnerships with other nations. It's so technologically challenging and difficult and financially difficult that you cannot really do these things individually. And so that's what, and Europe has a track record of being a reliable partner through its different constituents. Uh, and we want to further support that Europe becomes even stronger, but not at the sake of doing more autonomously, but still being very much open to the world when it comes to you know, using or exploring space. So for the, uh, like in plain English, what kind of policies are we talking about here? What sort of space policies uh, do you see? Well, you could uh, think of uh, space policy in a singular term as something which is uh, very similar to a, a policy that the country can put on health, education, energy, transportation, name your thing. Uh, it's a very similar in that sense that there is an organized way of allocating public resources to a specific sector. At the same time, space technology is exciting and highly valuable because it makes other sectors of economy and other public policies more effective, more impactful. It can make them better and improved in the, in the longer term. What I mean here is that we are not doing space because we just like to do space, but we, we do uh, activities in space because these uh, activities bring benefits on earth mm -hmm. we cannot have no your weather forecasts on your on your on your phone we cannot do that without meteorological systems in the geostationary orbit uh, we cannot really uh, navigate in in open environments or do uh, long distance travels without integrating positioning navigation and timing services by uh, navigation satellites so you know this is really the the dimension that that i think we should be looking at when you look at, at at space these were just the two examples that i mentioned but you can also look at science we can do breakthrough science by putting infrastructure in the orbital environment or, or someone else uh, in space it's really space is not space sector is not a, a playground of the billionaires it is really a highly beneficial sector of human activity that improves uh, the lives of, of citizens down here on earth yeah, I think the big difference that I can see uh, between putting money in uh, space activities and something like uh, healthcare transportation is that those are the latter things that they are that are controlled in many ways by the government, but nobody controls space. Eventually, it, boil, it boils down to the, you know, we in Europe we live primarily in democratic regimes, and what people, what what, what politicians uh, listen to is the the interest of the electorate, and uh, and I'm not saying this is a wrong thing. It's absolutely right that health, education, social security, jobs, economy, it's probably. 
uh, a priority and it probably never changed like that. I mean, space will probably never occupy such a high level of uh, political interest. Uh, at the same time, as I mentioned, there is there is some there is a lot that space can do for those fields. And and to your argument that there would be no control, where I mean, there there are some regulations that have been put in place uh, in terms of what we uh, can do in terms of the activities that we conduct in the space environment. These activity, these regulations have been put in place at international level a long time ago. You can argue about the effectiveness or how detailed they are, but at the same time, most of the developed nations have also some form of national laws and regulatory procedures to ensure that when we do something in space, it is conducted in a responsible, safe and sustainable manner. Now, if we discuss details, we can bring all these um, topics of the increase in space activity, the large constellations of satellites, the high number of launches and new launch vehicles put in place, uh, based on which you we can we can we can raise the question if the pace uh, of the activities that we do, if it's not posing a danger, if it's not uh, maybe a bit too much, that's a legitimate question. I would argue that oh, there is more than more that we can do in terms of the regulatory dimension. But again, the regulation should not be regulation for itself. It should not inhibit the commercial interest. At the sense of finding this balance between ensuring safety and responsibility while not inhibiting uh, a commercial activity, it's important to maintain. Uh, and there is a lot that uh, collectively as a humanity we need to do at the international level to ensure that we keep using space safely and sustainably. So there's a very, very broad range of uh, different aspects to space policy. Is there anything that you are particularly passionate about, something that you work on more than anything else? Well, what's your favorite part of it? Yeah, it's 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 interesting that you're asking uh, this way. Uh, so to explain uh, why it's interesting for me, it's that sometimes it's not that straightforward kind of to, to meet your passion with the way that you work with. Um, just to give you an example, I uh, worked uh, in the past few years a lot on the topics that I just mentioned. So on the topics of safe space safety and space long-term sustainability of space activities, because these are relevant topics in uh, the space sector and it, it's the foundation like we, we cannot really do it doesn't matter if I'm European or Chinese or American if I'm public or private if there is too much uh, space debris and if we have irresponsible behavior in earth orbit if we pollute the orbital environment too much mm -hmm. then it's a it's a loose situation for everyone and so I think it's really the foundation um, on which a lot of people today are, are trying to focus we at SP are looking at it from the policy angle trying to uh, help Europe create better policies on these topics uh, and and it really preoccupied a lot of my activity now the passionate part uh, I can probably make the example of space exploration and space science which is which is for a lot of people in the space sector the the, the glue or the the internal cohesion what what keeps people motivated about space so at one part it's the societal benefit that we do but at the same part it's about the the new frontiers in terms of you know finding sources or traces of life uh, in the universe answering to the basic uh, scientific questions about the origin of, of humankind there, there is so much fascination in in this in this segment and there is actually a lot of uh, things that you can do on space exploration and space science from um, 
from let's say the position that I'm having as as a policy analyst mm -hmm. because if you look at what's happening around the, the world there is an acceleration or let's say again an acceleration of efforts that countries are putting uh, to exploring space even with humans you know the program Artemis the activities by China a lot of achievements recently achieved by India a discussion in Europe about whether Europe should also have the capability to launch Australia or to have an independent human spaceflight capability and all these ambitious space scientific missions that we keep hearing about like new big new space telescopes that shall reveal uh, you know the mysteries of the universe if I put it in the in a poetic terms of new missions further and further into the solar system not only by the superpowers but also by uh, the newcomers in the field some smaller countries I think there is a lot of kind of a policy discussion or impact of these missions of space science on policy or political considerations that we can also address from this standpoint. And I believe looking at the, the pace of development in the space sector that we are seeing right now, I'm really confident that uh, in the next years there will be also for journalists a lot to write about because there's just so much happening. Uh, and again, it's not only the playground of the rich, it's really also the small countries and small companies that are really doing uh, ambitious projects and are becoming increasingly successful while acknowledging that this is a challenging field and we might still see some failures, if you put it like that, it, it will probably continue to be an uh, extremely uh, difficult to do everything right in the first try. Yeah, well, the more there is to cover, the better it is for us. Yeah. We're happy. Uh, and so uh, now at this uh, this event that we uh, that we were at 5G Tech Rotary, so there you just uh, were on a panel uh, about uh, connectivity and uh, uh, satellites and the importance of uh, space for the future of uh, connectivity and the future of communications. So how big a part of uh, space policy is uh, uh, is this is this part? How big a part is telecommunication play? A very significant part and not only of policy but of the space industry itself satellites have historically for several decades provided uh, telecommunications services and this is naturally evolving but uh, it's important i think to say that uh, okay we are discussing the topic of space for 5g space for ubiquitous connectivity but the connection between satellites and telecommunications is not new i mean space for decades space has provided TV broadcasting or other forms of communication such as in emergency management or for militaries to ensure that the, the bases can communicate with uh, home countries. I think what we are discussing right now and the way how uh, the discussion is changing is the integration or the role that satellites can play in making the the general connectivity ideas and, and ambitions a reality. And we are, we are here to discuss that space are not here to compete with terrestrial networks. Space is probably not here to substitute terrestrial networks, but space is here to complement, coexist and explore or utilize synergies with terrestrial networks. It all boils down to mostly uh, several use cases. I've heard even people saying there are countless use cases that where space can be a more effective or impactful or cheaper solution to make sure that you no know, connectivity is a reality. It's, about, it's usually traditionally it's about the underserved areas with 
places that cannot be economically really reached uh, in, a, in a sustainable manner and by terrestrial networks, or it is about in-flight connectivity or connectivity on board ships. It can be about uh, connectivity that is secure as an alternative to other means of connectivity if they become dysfunctional, for instance, through uh, natural disasters or because of armed conflicts. So these are really the added value. This is really the added value that space um, can provide. And it's there to be a part of the of the future of telecommunications. And what we have really seen in the past few years is that uh, in the terms of the technological innovation, in the terms of the standardization, which is a very important uh, part for the space industry, we have seen progress, which makes me confident that even though maybe today we are not uh, at the 100% of meeting the potential that space can offer, we are on the right path towards making sure that that space can be part of this equation. And you made the point or made the question on how, how big of a part of space policy is this connectivity. And it's it's a significant part because because digital agenda today, it's one of the hottest topics around the world. You can attach it to the sustainable development agenda under the auspices of the United Nations. Many countries and the European Union itself are trying to prioritize this digital development as, as something that will be the defining feature of the society in the decades to come. And arguably, we will probably not uh, see space being really the solution for connectivity in urban areas or in like in cities. But this is what I was saying. There are probably other forms where space can be more useful. And from the user standpoint, eventually, user does not necessarily need to know or does care where how the signal travels. You need that seamless ubiquitous connectivity. Maybe we are not there yet in terms of this seamless integration between terrestrial networks and, and satellite-enabled networks. But we've heard at the conference from the industry, also from the innovators, that the work is underway and that uh, sooner or later we'll get there. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, let us talk about the, uh, well, not the elephant in the room, but the big thing that's uh, in uh, uh, in the works right now, something that has been promised for uh, for a very long time, which is the EU space law. So what's go can you talk a little bit about what it actually is when what do you expect uh, to see there? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that we need to bring a bit more context in here. First, uh, so in, in Europe, traditionally, we, for for several decades we have uh, the national programs we have countries joining forces in the european space agency to do space activities and the european union has also gradually taken more and more responsibility uh, in the space domain and this has led to actually creation of really world leading infrastructures and so european union uh, is very strongly already positioned in the in the space sector uh, with very i think undeniably very successful uh, achievements um, with some of the space programs, such as Galileo for navigation or Copernicus for Earth observation. And the scope of EU involvement in the space sector seems to be growing. We are seeing increasing interests. It's both the matter of all the decision-making bodies. It's no, no decision, no big decision, especially budgetary decision in the European Union can be made without a proper policy-making process that integrates the member states, that integrates the direct elected representatives, the European Parliament and the executive branch, 
the European Commission. And uh, what uh, we are seeing right now, or what we have been seeing uh, fairly uh, regularly, is that uh, the European Commission is responsible for this like a, a legislative proposal or for like bringing new things into the game. And uh, there has been a statement not so long ago by senior officials in the European Commission that as part of the continued EU engagement in space, the Commission would like to propose the, a European Union space law, which now we can start discussing where where we actually where we are and so where we are that we are in a we're in our segment of uh, activity uh, with the space sector which is which has some national uh, international laws which are rather i wouldn't call them vague but they are not too detailed and as a private uh, as, a, as a private entity citizen or or company uh, you're usually bound by your country's regulations so there are actually countries which have put in some national regulations to ensure safety to ensure that everything is done in in a, in a manner that maybe is uh, correct uh, under the the international laws but not all countries have that and maybe if some countries have that maybe it's not really harmonized my reading of the of the argument proposed by the european commission is primarily to with this european union space law to actually meet uh, or to improve the goal is really to improve the situation by bringing some centralization element into the field adding uh, or improving the safety dimension i think they mentioned also resilience dimension uh, now we are discussing the content and um, uh, in the there are a lot of space lawyers in the community so people do who focus on the legal dimension of uh, space activities and there has been a lot of discussions to what extent the european union can actually uh, do that uh, what's the competence and these are the discussions that actually transcend the the legal discussion and actually i believe that the member states of the european union will be very sensitively looking at what the european union actually wants to do with this EU space law. So we are currently actually in the stage of a public um, consultation. So we do not really know what the European Commission will be uh, proposing to other decision makers in the European Union. But at least we are seeing already at this stage that there is an interest to bring the EU dimension into the play and, and basically improve the situation that is maybe that is not fully harmonized, that is maybe not fully developed at national level by top-down EU approach and bringing bringing this kind of a centralization uh, there. Uh, it's hard for me to right now estimate where this will lead because really it's very possible that some member states will be arguing this interferes with national competencies. So uh, the whole idea and then the actual scope of the measures that will be put in place may not meet uh, initial interests from the, from the countries or even from the European Parliament and uh, therefore it will be really subject to tough uh, political negotiations. It sounds it sounds as something which may take a long time. Uh, That's exactly to, how it sounds, yes. <laughs> hard to anticipate, but even if it takes long time, even if EU doesn't do anything, there are space laws, as I mentioned, at national level in some countries or some regulations at international level that already create some uh, form of, you know, barriers, uh, mm -hmm. you know, like on the uh, on an ice hockey field, you know, like you have yeah. these barriers and you can only <laughs> move there and we already have something like that you can discuss other problems that are associated is there an international enforcement or are these international measures adapted to today's nature of uh, the space sector those are legitimate questions uh, but this is what we collectively as the the space sector are, are these are the cards we're playing at 
Yeah. Yeah, that was like one of the things that I was thinking about uh, preparing to this interview. So how is it all even enforceable at all? Like uh, that, that was also what I was alluding to when I was talking about uh, controlling the space. It's not like someone is sitting on the geostationary orbit and actually checking what's being launched. And if something wrong is launched, you would just like, I don't know, shoot a laser and <laughs> remove it from the, from the orbit. So what are, what are the possibilities there? If we are looking at this from the private company point of view, uh, you as a company, you are always subject to your country's laws and regulations. And this always applies. So even if there is no one sitting there, if you're doing an activity as a private company, there is very likely some uh, regime that is put in place by by your country where your company is, is seated, mm -hmm. uh, which will probably require you to meet uh, some requirements in terms of safety, insurance, reliability, disclosing of information, technical design features. Otherwise, you won't get a license to actually do space activity. If you're a state, then I think it's a legitimate point to consider if there is a decentral enforce, enforce, uh, um, enforcing authority. But this is not a problem of the space sector. It's, it's how the international, you can argue that it's how the international law in general operates. So then if there is no central enforcing authority, we are more into the discussion of like the hard way of resolving conflicts, which is often through through conflicts, through hostile behavior. And uh, I'm not saying this is the way how to control the environment, certainly not, but it's an example that some countries, mostly the big space powers, have historically developed, and some of the new countries have also proceeded with development of so-called anti-satellite weapons, mm -hmm. which you can argue could feel fulfill from maybe the military doctrine point of view, could fulfill the function of denial of behavior that you do not agree with of, of maybe another, another country. But these are really like a hard... Uh, political slash security problems that that go much beyond uh, what's lawful or unlawful yeah no absolutely so you have this very broad uh, view of the of the entire e ecosystem of the uh, of the entire landscape of uh, space policy and space activity in general is this the field in which the the only players that matter are bigger companies and nation states. What is the role of the startup ecosystem and European startup ecosystem in particular in this uh, in this field? What do you see? Well, it's definitely not only the playground of these of big countries or countries that have historically developed some capabilities. One of the trends in the space sector, which we have uh, seen in the past decade, uh, maybe has been really the decrease of cost. Um, it has been associated to many other things, but, but the technological progress basically made uh, a cheaper space flight a, re a reality. At the same time, other kind of, um, I would say trends, but the benefits that space can offer have attracted also like mm -hmm. much more and more private investment. And we are seeing that small countries and small and companies, including startups, can do uh, can do big things themselves. You know, you don't need to be an industrial giant to be able to to be able if you want really to do space activity and not only be maybe a part of the supply chain of, of some bigger missions. You can actually do that. An example that I can bring forward is we have uh, relatively small countries putting putting together highly ambitious projects such as astronaut programs, and they are. 
they could make those uh, ambitions easily re a reality because um, they can rely on some existing public infrastructures or such mm -hmm. as international space station or they can uh, take the benefit take the leverage in partnering with private sector who wants to develop those capabilities you have and the other example that i can that i can mention more on the private side can be linked to the usage of data that is enabled by satellite systems that are maybe let's put it like that they have been created as public programs and continue to be operated as public programs. The Europe's uh, Earth Observation, uh, one of the Europe's Earth Observation program, Copernicus, it has a full free and open data policy. Mm -hmm. And as a startup, which means that you don't necessarily need to develop the system itself, uh, like yourself. Mm -hmm. And usually this would probably be really like the most um, capital intensive investment you would need to make. If you don't need to make that, and there is a data that's actually inviting even, I would put like that, or significantly decreasing the barrier even for small startups that are could be maybe just uh, guys that are just good at uh, coding yeah. to actually make use of the data or take the data, add value to the data, resell it in some, in some form of like um, uh, added value data or service. And, and you can do a business. And we are currently in this stage in the space sector that we are seeing much more of the smaller companies being uh, engaged uh, by themselves in this in these highly uh, innovative projects, such as those where you want to make sure that the earth observation data that is being created, even like even through public programs, can be made much more impactful mm -hmm. by adding the value to it and and ensuring that it meets um, a customer's uh, uh, needs. So. The combination of all these factors, I think, makes it uh, makes space sector still like it's still a, a, a technologically challenging field, and there are a lot of other forms of regulations which we didn't discuss, such as export controls, spectrum access issues. But at the same time, it's also a field where startups can grow. And we are internally at uh, my institute. We are also tracking uh, um, one data aspect when it comes to space startups, and specifically in Europe, we have been tracking public, uh, investment in uh, startups. And if you're tracking investment, it means it, it really shows interest of people that have money to put right. money somewhere, expecting it will return more money in the future. Like that's the, that's the basic uh, foundation. And this investment then maybe 15 years ago was in zero or in the order of a few millions of euros. Last year, it has surpassed 1 billion annually, just in Europe. Uh, and, and it's even much more in, in, in the US. Mm -hmm. And I think, and we are tracking that investment only to startups, European mm -hmm. space startups. We, we consciously uh, take out of the equation maybe some of these bigger companies just to be able to highlight whether the startup ecosystem in Europe is good. So there are certainly challenges in terms of you know, scaling up the businesses, in terms of getting customers, in terms of just the pure competition. But still, the, the amount, the, the fact that there is more investment in space startups, I think it's demonstrating the fact that investment investors, public investors, like uh, governments or private investors believe that this is something which will yield better value in the future. And I think that's exciting. Right. Thomas, thank you so much. Thanks a lot for taking the time. Thanks a lot for being on the show and good luck with the research you're doing. Thank you for inviting me. 
And this is all we have time for in this bonus episode of the TNW podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Once again, also big thanks to Thomas for talking to me. If you like our show, please help us spread the word. Tell a friend or colleague about it and follow our updates on social media. Just search for The Next Web and you will find us everywhere. Music and sound engineering for this podcast is done by Sound Pulse. Feel free to email me with any questions, suggestions and opinions. I'm always at andri at thenextweb.com. Take care, and we're going to talk to you next Wednesday. Bye-bye.